You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. So, yep, we're in the third week of Colossians, which is amazing. My name is Rob Porter, senior pastor of this church. <clears throat> we're really glad that you can join with us this morning. And wherever you are today, I pray that this message will touch your life and bring you hope. We are in week three, as we said, and we're going to dig a bit into the third chapter of Colossians. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been to Westfield shopping mall and an alarm goes off and everyone just ignores it. And um, they're just wandering around. The security guard goes, oh, it always does that. Just ignore it. And I'm like really nervous when that happens. Because obviously, you know, there could be something dramatic happening. If someone ran into this room right now and shouted fire, being a Pentecostal church, we all might shout glory instead of screaming and running for the nearest exit. But we all know that certain shouts should elicit a certain response. So look out, you generally flinch and duck. Um, The purpose of a shout is to get your attention. So over the last two weeks, we have watched... Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 laying a foundation on which he can speak some home truths in chapter 3 and 4. In chapter 1, it could be said that Paul is raising his voice against the white noise of mysticism, Judaism, other religions that are threatening the pure gospel that the Colossian church has been born into. Paul was making a, a very, very clear sound to them that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is everything, Jesus is enough, and Jesus is the answer. So man tries to take God's plan of salvation, that is grace and nothing but grace, and make it grace with works, grace with traditions, grace with rules. But Paul loves this church so much, he's shouting clear and loud, it's not Jesus and Jesus only. He's saying, it's Jesus only for us. It's not Jesus and, but Jesus only. And now that Paul has the attention, he's got the truth about the supremacy of Jesus out there and in here, he makes one of the most beautiful and life-changing statements. Jesus He's not just ruling over everything, he also holds everything together. The universe, the planets, every solar system, the earth, the systems within the earth. And here's a newsflash, there is no such thing as Mother Nature, just a Father God, and he holds it all together. These mortal bodies, the atoms are all held together by God. You know, Louis Guglio has a great message about the supremacy of Jesus, and his closing punchline in that message is regards to a molecule called laminin, which is found in every cell in the human body. Actually, I think we've got to bring up a picture on your screen that shows that these cells within our bodies wouldn't actually function without this molecule. It's the glue that holds the cell structure together. Without laminin, we would just be a puddle on the floor. But the point of this is when you look at the molecule under a microscope, what you see is three chains of matter that make up the shape of the cross. And for me, the cross imprinted in every cell in my body. And Paul was saying this truth, that when my world gets shaky or my dreams fail, my heart gets hurt or my body's in pain, there is a saviour. Jesus who died in my place on the cross 
Through his burial, resurrection, I am raised with him. Not that I avoid all of life's problems and woes, but that I can walk through life knowing that he has a master plan, that he is holding everything together about my life. Even though sometimes to the untrained eye, to my eye, it may look like everything's falling apart. So Paul is speaking to a church that was beginning to fray a little bit around the edges, fraying because different philosophies, religious ideas, politics, cares of the world were picking away at the very fabric of this new church. For many of us, I've just described this past week, lockdown is not just about a lack of freedom of movement, it's about a battle of headspace. It's as if squatters are threatening to take up residency in the vacant lot of our minds. Paul addresses this very situation when he writes in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. And what he's saying there is don't just build a house on the vacant lot of your mind, but make sure the Trinity is in residence there. Fill what you're building with the treasures of the kingdom. Or you risk philosophies, religious ideas, spirit of the world, politics, cares of the world, moving into that place. I want to ask you, is Jesus enough for you today? Is your life falling apart? Are you trying to hold everything together in your world? Maybe Jesus was once at the centre of your life, but trouble and circumstance have pushed him off the throne of your heart. Life may be fraying a bit round the edges, but the Bible's got great news for us this morning. He's got great comfort for our hearts this morning. And at the end of this message, we're going to make an opportunity to pray and respond to this. You know, in chapter 2, Pastor Fred last week was showing us that Paul's emphasis flows on from Jesus' supremacy to Jesus' risenness. Not sure if that's a word, but COVID allows for such things. Jesus' risenness or resurrection, and that we are complete in him, it says paving the way for chapter 3, which we're going to look at today, in which Paul teaches us on what completion, wholeness, resurrected life in Christ, what that actually looks like in our everyday walking around in this world lives. So I'm going to break this chapter into chunks, and a bit like doing a grocery shop when you're hungry, I'm going to pick up a few tasty items from the shelves as we go through, and I'm going to throw them in your shopping cart. So let's read verse 1 to 4. Of chapter 3. It says, and we don't have the verses for you, but you should have your Bibles with you. And if you do, let's read it together. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So he's talking about the realities of heaven in that scripture. And I want to ask you, is the kingdom of heaven or kingdom living a reality to you now, or is it a destination way off in your future? A destination that has little influence over the way you live life now. See, this is the crux of chapter 3. Paul says, and he redirects us to the ascended Jesus, and he reminds us that we are risen with him. He's saying, why are you living in the lobby when your address is now the penthouse? So he said, don't live in the lobby. You know, it's, it's nice and warm. You're safe from the street. You're safe from the elements. But actually, there's so much more. And he's saying, ascend with Christ. Live, risen with Christ. We spend our lives in street view. 
when we should be at the top of the building in the pad with Jesus with the expansive views. So it's time, I believe, Paul is saying, and he is saying this, get a change of perspective. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, there's a theme that runs through both the Old Testament and the New Testament that says anything worth having is developed in secret in the hidden place. Think about Jesus on the mount. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, like Dave was saying in the giving message, don't let people know what you are doing. Actually, what he says is, go about your normal lives, don't look miserable, don't look put upon, don't look for attention, keep showering and dress well. Your sighing and your unhappiness make your fasting of no effect. Just another attempt to work for salvation. Now, these are strong words from the master. The thought, though, anything worth having is, that's, is developed in secret. We see it in the lives of Moses, David, Gideon, Jesus. Obscurity is the believer's friend. That's why social media is not the believer's friend that it appears to be. Sometimes, honestly, when I see some people's posts, I wouldn't do this, but I just want to say, shut up and let God do his work. But that would be an awful thing to do, so I don't do that. But the point is, what the word means hidden in um, Colossians uh, 3, the word hidden is the Greek word crypto, which is secret, where we get the word cryptic, not kryptonite. And it's not a period of prayer and fasting that Jesus is talking about in the secret place, but a lifestyle. So what he's saying is, chase the hidden things with God and be content with obscurity. Listen, it's better to be known by God and ignored by the masses than to be celebrated by the masses and a stranger to God. Or as Paul puts it, and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his Glory. Okay, pressing on Colossians 3, verse 5 to 9. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. That's a pretty serious statement to make. You used to do, the, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. So what he's saying is, is this. Jesus is transforming me, changing me, renovating me. His plan is to change everything. My thinking, patterns of mind, habits of life, behaviour, processes by which I do life. And what he's doing is changing me from normal human behavior to Jesus-filled human behavior. So Paul then changes tack and he says, he says your life is hidden, but actually you can't help but be seen because your fruit will, will make you stand out, not by a platform or title or money or ministry, fruit. Then he makes it clear that we're not into behavior modification, that is hiding stuff away, but dealing with it. He says, Put it to death. Kill it at the roots. When? We deals with that. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, and all of these other things. You know, if as a pastor, a leader, a parent, a boss, you have to resort to anger, 
trashing reputations, a foul mouth, lying or half-truths, just to get your point across, to get people to do what you need them to do, you are not in control. But actually, Paul is saying being controlled by the lusts of your flesh. You know, this is a thought here that I actually can't do this by trying or by behavior modification. It's, it's not a self-help course. The Bible is not a self-help course. Jesus opens the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Matthew 5, with this primary truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God blesses those who are poor and recognizes their need for him. See, the currency of the kingdom is humility, not manipulation and oppression. But he says, don't just strip off your dirty clothes and leave them in piles around the room. You know, we once had, and if you're watching, forgive me, you know who you are, but we once had somebody who lived with us for about six months, and a young person. And what they used to do was um, take their clothes off in a pile, step out of them, and then do the same thing day after day. So we went into their bedroom once, and there were seven piles of empty clothes on the floor. Um, And I want to say to you, Jesus isn't saying just step out of your dirty clothes. He's saying burn them up. Get rid of them. Clean up your own mess. Too many believers, I think, are trying to prettify what the Holy Spirit wants to burn up. How do I put these things to death? It really is simple, and it's what we've been talking about as a church, by everyday washing of the word, voicing my prayers, lifting my voice in worship, and renewing of my mind. You see, the truth is, I'm not living like I say I am. I'm not living like the world says I am. I'm living as he says I am, and that's what it's about. Colossians 3, 11 to 14 says, Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious or irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Hallelujah. Everyone is included in Christ. Hallelujah. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe, God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, put on love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Now, all of us have a certain look. We make a statement by the clothes that we wear, whether it's I don't care how I look, which is still a statement, through to I work obsessively hard to not follow fashion, which is still a fashion. Paul is saying all the clothes you once wore to make a point of difference, the latest fad, the understated look, the rags, I'm not worthy, the op shop look, the the factions, the religions, the paganism, the educated sort of the earth, the insider, outsider, slave or free, how we once defined ourselves has been refashioned by Christ. And the point is, see, what we once wore as a badge of honor, my opinions, my lifestyle, my sin, rebellion, I now need to lay as filthy rags at the foot of the cross and put on Christ. You know, every year 
in the fashion capitals of the world. Designers tell, designers tell us what we should be wearing. I don't know about you, but uh, you see them coming down the catwalk and they from, you just see the bizarre, the ugly and the ridiculous. I know about you, but the great, we the great unwashed masses don't wear that stuff. We choose from Best or Less, TK Maxx or Hallenstein Brothers, go Blake. But what you allow down the catwalk of your mind today will influence what you clothe yourself in the next season. So you better have kingdom clothing hanging in your closet. What does Paul say that is? The wardrobe God picked out for you is compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Forgive one another, he talks about. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. You know, as a pastor, I find myself surrounded by many opinions, strong, healthy leaders and church family of strong, mostly healthy opinions. Sometimes I'm told I need to take a stand against this or speak out against that. I want to say something this morning. I don't believe COVID is a threat to the church. I think the greatest threat to the church is the church itself. And this is actually what Paul's message to the Colossians was too. Paul warns with vehemency against forming factions. When we form factions, and I'm going to get a bit real here, those who vax, those who don't, the enlightened who march, the lazy who don't, the petitioners, the confused, the frightened, the complacent. What does Paul say? He says, regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. What else does Jesus say? This is my commandment, that you love one another, what? That your joy may be full. See, I'm seeing a lot of people's joy drying up in this season. Because love isn't the first garment that they pull out of the wardrobe. When the first thing that's hanging in your wardrobe is your dogma or your opinion or your fear or your rights, love can be left on the coat hanger in the wardrobe. Now, COVID, conspiracy, complacency, chaos, like I said, they're not the real threat to the church, but withholding love is, cherishing hurts is, promoting anger is and shriveling up of joy certainly is. See, what I love about this, this, what Paul wrote is that he warned us of these things 2,000 years ago. And for me, that's the miracle of the scripture. And we're coming to a close. It says, 15 to 17, let the peace of God keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate, and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing sing your hearts out to God let every detail in your life words actions whatever be done in the name of the master Jesus thanking God the father every step of the way what are you tuned into are you tuned into peace or are you tuned into the fear and the the chaos of the world it's really important that we understand what, what Paul was saying is let peace rule your hearts and your mind. Keep in step with who? One another. When I walk with a child, you know, when you walk with a child, you basically have to keep stopping, starting, going backwards. Paul says, keep pace with them. When you walk with an adult, you keep pace with them. When I walk with my dog, it's murder because he just goes all over the place. But the truth is that we need to walk in step. Walk in step. Stop the factions. That's what Paul said. Don't allow yourselves to become split up. And then he says, and cultivate thankfulness. See, thankfulness and singing 
because he talks about singing, bulldozes its way through our objections, our fears, and our mindset. We were singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Don't, don't know about you, but I let that wash over me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. It washed over me. That's what I'm talking about when I say thankfulness and singing will bulldoze through your, all, the, all the rubbish that comes against us. And we finish with 18 to 22. Now, Far from a smooth landing, Paul takes the aircraft round one more time and does another bombing raid. And in these verses, he addresses this new life in Christ as lived out through our closest relationships and social structure. And hear this. In other words, if you're not living kingdom at home, you're not living it at all. Now, that's a powerful thing to say. See, Christians have trigger words. We all have trigger words, don't we? And phrases, COVID is one, conspiracy is another, all lives matter, modesty, Harry Potter, Hillsong. None or all of these words may trigger you, but Paul was just talking in the previous verses about not having a potty mouth. And yet he opens these final verses with the S word, then he uses the H word, then the R word, and finally the big L. But the S word that triggers every believer. Let's read it. Colossians 3, 18 to 22. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honour the master. Husbands, go out all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad word. So he's saying the responsibilities of life, marriage, parenting, home and work is where God is looking for fruit. Profession of faith will always lead to strengthening and growth in these areas. Now, yep, it does say wives submit. But actually what he's saying to the husband is you need to be crucified. Regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, why the heck would anybody want to get married if they weren't prepared to learn to submit? See, it's a stupid, foolish husband who doesn't submit to his wife when she's right. It's a stupid, foolish wife who doesn't submit to her husband when she's right. After 35 years of marriage, I've learned this. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes Heather is right, and sometimes we're both wrong and Jesus is right, so we submit to him. So what does the word submit mean? It's the word hypotasso, which in Greek means to do whatever strengthens your position as an army. Submission, you know, it's become that dirty little Christian word which um, nobody likes to use. But everyone says that they believe in submission until they need to submit. And the temptation is to try and explain submission away because it has no relevance today in this Christian world, except that isn't true because I submit my feelings, my desires, my comfort so that you can be warm so that you can be filled, so that you can be encouraged. Most failed marriages, leaders' disputes, sibling rivalries, church splits are because we forgot to love each other. For better 
or for worse. Paul was saying to all these groups of people, I want to change everything. Wives, I want to change you. Husbands, I want to change you. Parents, I want to change you. Children, I want to change you. Employees, I want to change you. Employers, you're not exempt. I want to change you too. And I wonder, is it equality that's, ex- uh, uh, that's at stake here or is it trust? Trust that if I live humbly, I won't be taken advantage of. Trust that if I love extravagantly, I might run out of love. I think it's trust that's at play. So everything we've read in Colossians 3 has been about submission, submitting. Think about it. Laying down our life, our old ways. It says, seek the things that are above you. You lived an inferior life. Go for better. Submit and live a Christ life. And that sums up. Colossians 3. I want to thank you for joining with us this morning. Uh, We don't want to assume that every person watching or listening when this becomes a podcast has a personal relationship with Jesus. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to follow Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches us that we are created for a relationship with God, but sin has broken that relationship. Because of this, God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to take away my sin and restore my relationship with the Father. If we believe in Jesus and we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess him with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Your life might be falling apart today. You might be far away from God. You might be thinking, well, this glue, I need this glue. I need this Jesus in my life to bring it all back together again. Well, this is a time to say yes to Jesus. So I want you to pray with me this prayer, and we're going to bring it up on the the screen for you. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son and I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my saviour and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer um, or maybe rededicated your life to Jesus, maybe you don't come to church and you want to reach out to us, we'd love to um, make contact with you. You can do that through the comment sections of of this um, live streaming or you can send a message via our KCC Messenger or you can email hello at kingdomculture.com.au, kingdomculturechurch.com.au. So I want to thank you for being with us this morning. It's a huge privilege. Um, Tonight, we're going to have Pastor Caleb Shepherd preaching a fresh word from Colossians 3 also. We're going to have fresh new worship. We can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. God bless you and goodbye.